Welcome to the Blackcast. Christian Blad on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. And the show itself, of course, can be followed at Blackcast, B L A D T C A S T on Twitter. Like the Blackcast on Facebook. And of course, you can always go to Blackcast.com. This week, we're continuing my semi paternity leave with a fun repurposed palooza of a couple great conversations I had back in May as part of AfterBuzz TV's show, The Concert Experience. I got the chance to Skype with Mark Slaughter of the band Slaughter, and previously, before that, he was part of the Vinnie Vincent invasion. And you know how often Vinnie Vincent comes up on the Blackcast, so that's very exciting for me. I talked to Mark about his career and his most recent solo album, Halfway There. After that, you'll hear a conversation I had about a week later, also for AfterBuzz TV's The Concert Experience, with current great white frontman Terry Elouse. He was formerly with the band XYZ, and he had a new solo album out called Gypsy Dreams. There are a couple of fun conversations that I really hope you'll enjoy. Whether you were a fan of Mark or Terry or not, I think if you like any kind of music or good conversation, or hey, hopefully both, you'll enjoy the conversations I had in this episode. What was really fun was that Terry was able to join me in studio. But let's get started with a conversation from May 11th, 2017, with Mark Slaughter about his latest album, Halfway There. Oh, that's right. You hear it right there. Hey, you! The first track from Halfway There. The new album by Mark Slaughter. And uh, by the way, if people want to get in touch with you, it's always important to get all the particulars out there. MarkSlaughter.com. And of course, at MarkSlaughter33 on Twitter, Instagram, MarkSlaughterOfficial. Anyway, Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, I really like the new album. and I was lucky enough to get a chance to listen to the whole thing this afternoon. Uh, before we talk about it, I'm going to just take a quick minute and tell you a little bit about my background and when I first was really exposed to the band Slaughter, Slaughter was actually the third band I ever saw perform live. So my first concert, Alice Cooper at the Ritz in New York City, March 1990. And there was wow. an opening band called The Front. But then my second concert, Kiss on the Hot in the Sh Shade Tour, 1990. And you guys were the opening act. Uh, and our YouTube audience can see I actually have a... Uh, very well-worn ticket from June 17th, 1990, where I saw Slaughter open for kids at the Orange County Fairgrounds. And, you know, in those days, you didn't always head in to see the opening band, but I had heard Up All Night, and I was like, I need to see this band. And I was just blown away. And, you know, Kiss put on a great show that night. People are a little hard on them for that period of their career, Hot in the Shade in particular, but they put on a great show. But Slaughter was so good that we were still talking about you guys afterwards. So, of course... It being 1990, I ran out and bought the cassette the next day, and uh, I definitely wore it out. So uh, that's kind of, you know, when I first was really experiencing the band. And uh, so it, it's been a while, and I'm very excited to get a chance to talk to you. What was, if not your first, but one of the first concerts that you went to that was really kind of inspirational to you, like, I need to do that? Or did it happen even before you ever went to a concert? Well, I think I was already into music as a very young child i love music i loved uh, listening to records in fact that's one of my behavior things that my parents if i behaved well i get a 45 at the end of the, the week so that was kind of one of the things that uh i've always i've always loved and behaved well for and behaved bad too but uh <laughs> the truth of the matter is 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 you know i've always loved music it's always been a part of my life and um you know look i've i've been able to do this for a long time it's been great but my first concert experience was uh, Heart and also uh, uh, Kenny Loggins are, were my first two concerts. 
But I, I thought for a amazing. second, I thought for a second you were going to say Hart and Kenny Loggins played on the same bill, which would have been an interesting combination. No, no, they didn't. But uh, you know, one thing I really thought on both both acts, I was just like amazed at both vocally about how incredible uh, you know Anne was first and foremost. Sure. And, uh, and, and Kenny Loggins was amazing too. I mean, I know he's not in the the metal wheelhouse things, but I mean. He, uh, he was an incredible singer and, again, as an entertainer. The first time I really just said, oh, my God, that's what I want to do was Sammy Hager when he was opening for Boston. This was solo Sammy Hager, not with Montrose anymore. This is when he was out, like, can't drive 55. Yeah, he, was, he was on his own. Uh, uh, Boston was on the uh, Don't Look Back tour, and he was opening. Uh, Gary Peel was playing guitar with him at the time, and, and uh, that was just one of those things I just thought, man, that's so cool. The guy plays guitar and he sings and he entertains and he got the crowd going. And I think that's one of the things that I that I always looked at as as a entertainer after seeing that concert is I thought that was really cool how he brought the crowd into the con into his world as opposed to like I'm here and you're there. And he he did a did that again. Sammy Hager is a totally different thing than when he was with uh, with Van Halen years later, but he was always that constant front man that I I thought he was great. I, after that, later I saw uh, I saw Van Halen, I saw Rush. You know, I was a big concert goer, and I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Latin Theater for Performing Arts, and I ended up graduating on that stage. And then when we came back to Vegas for the first time. I was able to play on that stage. So it was pretty amazing. Did you play on that stage as Slaughter? Or was that Vinnie Vincent Invasion or? Played it with uh, Slaughter. Oh, great. Uh, Vinnie, Vinnie Vincent, we we never made it through there. We were, you know, I was on tour with, Vinnie Vincent Invasion was with Alice Cooper. That was in 1986. And then I was on tour with Iron Maiden. Um, and then we came back and started working on the All Systems Go record. One of the most interesting things that I've heard you talk about in other interviews is that, you know, you were primarily a guitar player and you just sort of ended up being the singer because I guess it was bands when you were starting out, nobody else wanted to sing, so so you did both. But then when it came to the Vinnie Vincent invasion, obviously Vinnie's going to be there to play the guitar and you just stopped playing guitar so that you could go out there and be a front man. Was it, was it right. difficult to kind of only do that or did, you, did it free you up in any way? I think... In the beginning, I was a little nervous about it because, you know, it's one thing fronting a band or, you know, doing a couple of songs without the guitar. But, you know, this is baptism by fire. I was sitting teaching about 279 lessons per month at Vesley Music when they were over there. And um, and then all of a sudden I'm a front man uh, opening up for Alice Cooper, completely glammed out with my hair you know, way up high and yeah. we're all makeuped out in the glam era. And it was, you know, it was pretty intense. It was a very intense thing, but you know, I, I think that, uh, I got the hang of it. I think that from all the concerts and the things that influenced me in the early years, I think that's part of, you know, what I was able to pull from. When it came to actual front men, was there someone that you know, and let's let's not be sexist about it. It could be, you know, one of the ladies in heart. It could be a front person. But was there someone that you're like, okay, when I'm out here doing this, I want to try and have the connection that 
whether it be Paul Stanley, Sammy Hagar, was there someone in particular that you felt like, apart from guitar playing, you're like, I want to emulate this front person? I think it was the sum of it all. I don't think that I, I still wanted to be my own person, but you know, you can always go back to, you know, each one of those, you know, whether even Anne, uh, that she was amazing, man. She's a belter. She's belted her whole lifetime. Now, I don't care if she's a girl. She can stand up to any guy all day long. Um, she was amazing. And Sammy Hager was, you know, I think that I, what I liked about him is it was, it was that party, you know, and that Van Halen with David Lee Roth. He is the epitome to a front man to me. You know, him and uh, Steven Tyler, if you opened up the definition of a front man, I think that, that those two guys are, you know, their pictures are right there in the encyclopedia as front men. Um, you know, I felt I was always like the guy next door was kind of my thing. And I, uh, uh, you know, I just kind of wanted to go up and do my thing and bring the audience into it. And when we were out with Kiss, they would kind of get ticked off because we'd have 300, 400 people back in the backstage area and, you know, got a little out of hand. But we enjoyed that whole kind of bringing the crowd into our world. And now, Slaughter was a people's band from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, people, I mean, they really had a great connection. You know, like two nights later, I saw the Black Crows open for Aerosmith at the same venue in upstate New York where I grew up. And, you know, Black Crows went on to have great success, but I have, don't think I've ever seen a band have a worse connection than the Black Crows on that first tour. And I had just seen you guys, and I was like, oh, okay, so I guess this is what it's like with opening bands, that people basically boo you off the stage and they want to see Aerosmith. But, I mean, people loved you guys. So I think, like you said, being the band of the people goes a long way. Uh, as you go throughout your career, obviously, you get to work with so many great people. You get to tour with them. Uh, is there someone that kind of stands out that you had a moment where you're like, I can't believe I'm working with so-and-so on whatever project it was oh, or I mean, touring? From the, from, from the very beginning when I became when I did my first show with Vinnie Vincent, when I was with Alice Cooper, Iron Maiden, Kiss, Ozzy Osbourne, you know, we, we toured with Damn Yankees, we toured with Poison, we toured – I mean – you know, we we toured with White Snake. You know, the list goes on. Yeah. So it's kind of like those things you you go, man, that's pretty cool. Because you yeah. know, you don't think about it when you're in it, but the music fan in you every once in a while, like when you know Ozzy would would pull over and say, "Hey, man, how was the monitors yesterday? You know, how was that?" <laughs> and you just go, "Well, it was Ozzy." <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't think about it when you're when you're doing it, but he's the guy I listened to with all the Sabbath records when I was a kid. My headphones. That's pretty cool. That's part of the of the thing to me that, you know, when I ended up on stage with these people, it's not like one of those, you know, oh, my God, freak out moments. You just go, this is really, you know, I'm living my dream. This is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about Baptism by Fire with Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Now, the first actual Slaughter show was the opening night of the Kiss Hot in the Shade tour. So, I mean, obviously, you guys had known each other. You'd played together with Vinny, but this is the first time where this was this band. But were, were there any extra, I don't know, any extra butterflies or anything because you're taking the stage as Slaughter without Vinny's brand, well, I guess, attached to it? That was, you know, doing doing the first show with Slaughter was different because we never rehe we rehearsed, but we never played live. We never played like a, a club. You know, we did obviously in our individual bands when we were younger, but the first show we ever played Literally, we never even went in front of people. We just, our first show was in front of Kiss. 
And when we came off the stage at that show, John Sykes, our president of the record label, and, and Joe Keener, who's the CEO, were in our dressing room and surprised us with gold records at that show. So it was like <laughs> one, it was one of those shows that you go, not only did I get a chance to play with one of the legendary bands of all time, but there was a gold record waiting in my dressing room when I played my first show. This is going to be kind of cool. Yeah. So I was like, this is this. I think something's happening here, guys. You know, pinch me, but I think something's happening. And that's that's kind of. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't. I don't know uh, any other artist who's going to have that story. Oh yeah, our first show, we got a gold record. So I mean, that's got to be tremendous success. That has to feel great, and you know, to really kind of get that leg up. And also, I mean, obviously, the band Slaughter came along at exactly the right time for the sound that you guys had already developed. And I mean, those right. songs were on the radio and on MTV when MTV was actually something that stood for music television. And right. it's funny because just it, it was the it was probably the perfect time for that. And going out on that Kiss tour, I'm sure, was, you know, great exposure for a band that was already getting decent exposure, you know. So uh, at what well, point do you go on the first solo tour, you know, the first, sorry, first headline tour? We did headline shows um, kind of off, during that tour, if we had a day off, we would oh, cool. go off and do uh, shows. We did like a New Year's show here or there. I mean, we as far as a headline tour, you know, uh, we really didn't ever just do a headline thing. I think we stayed in the opening position for a lot of bands that was in the in the larger arenas and sheds. And we stayed in that until uh, it's pretty much about '95. You know, it started to change. And we went into clubs and, it, you know, the whole climate of music had changed for all the, for all the bands. And uh, um, to us, we just kept going. I mean, we kept playing. And uh, as Dana states, it was a very difficult time for the band because, you know, it wasn't pretty. It was some some pretty rough venues and a lot of, you know, a lot of you know hard times. But I think that if you're an artist, you still make your art. You still take it to people. That's kind of where our heads were at. Speaking of art, I want to talk to you about the new album in a second. But I've also heard you speak in the past. You have almost like a Zen-like approach to this notion that, you know, these hard rock bands of the early 90s were kind of pretty quickly edged out by the, you know, the grunge movement, the Nirvanas, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, etc. And... It doesn't seem like you really hold a grudge. I've heard other people say that, oh, you know, those those crappy bands, you know, in the in the lumberjack shirts came along and kind of edged out. Look, but you seem pretty cool about crappy. it. That that's wrong to, to say that any of those bands. Soundgarden was amazing. All that stuff. There were some there were some good bands. But the problem is with the recording industry is as soon as one band has success, they go and they sign a million of those bands and they inevitably kill that type of music because then they start signing everything that's like it instead of something that's original. You know, it's the same thing with the the bands. When we were signed, we were lucky enough to be able to keep the creative control. You know, Dana and I were able to produce those records and, and, and record all that stuff. And, you know, the end of the day, with all that, we were the writers, we were the producers, and we're still the performers of that music to this day. And we're the only band from our genre that can say that all the way through in our genre. Um, and, you know, the other bands that came up after us, again, the record labels would sign bands, even in those years, they'd sign a band because they liked them. And then they'd hire an outside writer, they'd hire a producer, they'd have this guy play on it. And, and inevitably, 
they'd change exactly what they bought off in the band when they signed them and change them into something else that was a homogenized thing. So, you know, I think that's what the problem was with the industry. And it became more about whatever they could sell instead of the honesty of, of those bands. Again, Soundgarden was honest. Nirvana, if you love them or hate them, they were honest. I think it was, you know, again, I have no problems with Nirvana. I thought the songs were great. Yeah, and I think that obviously that's really the key and that's what it comes down to. And yeah, I think obviously there's those yeah, stories through the music industry throughout the decades of, you know, okay, now you need to be the next so-and-so. And as soon as your starting point is be the next, whether it's be the, the next Slaughter, the next Poison, be the next Nirvana, as soon as you're trying to be the next anything, you're not really going to be anything that's going to connect well. Maybe short term, you might get a couple songs on the radio, but, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be the smart approach really no i think again honest it has to be honest i think the music has to be not put on and not like hey i think i can make a quick buck or a money grab on this by doing this it has to be honest and it has to be along with what the artist represents yeah i understand some artists wanting to go do this style or that style but i mean the integrity of a of a record ultimately has to be what that artist represents Right. Absolutely. And as we speak about albums that are, of course, honest and representative of the person, it's a great transition to Mark Slaughter's Halfway There. More information, markslaughter.com. And by the way, the band Slaughter has a separate website, slaughterusa.com. But I really like the new album. Like I said in the intro, I got to hear it this afternoon. You know, it was great. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how your previous album, which I also like, Reflections in a Rearview Mirror, you kind of put that out yourself. What's the difference yeah. with this album and how it's out there? Well, I, you know, first and foremost is with Dave Ellison's label. I've known Dave a lifetime and, uh, Dave from Megadeth, Dave, Dave Ellison from Megadeth. And obviously you, I would assume you've known him probably for 25, 30 years, maybe just, yeah. Yeah. Good 30 years. Exactly. And, and I think the, the key is with that is that, that, You know, you get in in this industry at this point and it becomes about dealing with people who you want to deal with. Uh, Both Dave and Tom, you know, over at the label uh, knows my vision. They know what I want to do with the record. And and I think that they wanted to try to increase this to the masses, so to speak, to take it to radio, to take it to those other markets and those other things that, you know, quite honestly, it's very difficult for a one person show to be the the writer, the producer, you know, the engineer, the guitar player, bass player, da 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 da, all the way down the line. And by the way, you're also the radio promotion, this and this and this. It comes a point where you have to say, listen, I, I need somebody else to do something. I can't be the mayor and the police chief at the same time. If we're going to run this town properly, let's get the right people and the people that I know that can get the job done. And and that's ultimately what you know what's going on right now, and that's what people are seeing. It's like, wow, there's some momentum going on this record. The record was done right, and the people who are surrounding it are, are doing it right. As I mentioned, you do still go out and perform with the guys in Slaughter, but they basically have a day job where they're Vince Neil's band. So right. that probably had, a, I'm going to guess, that had a lot to do with you deciding the last couple of years that you were going to make solo records instead of new Slaughter records. It is, it is that, and to be honest with you, even in the Slaughter Frontier, nobody's really jumping up and knocking my door down to do records. And, you know, as you see in my, you know, here in my studio, I mean, there's a guitar in my hand, my stuff's ready, it's rolling, and I'm writing and I'm making music 
you know, nonstop. That's what I do. And I think that as an artist, you continuously make art. So, you know, there's nothing against the band Slaughter. This is just me working and doing things when they're busy. I'm, I'm busy, too. I like the fact that you're keeping busy and obviously putting out new music because we've heard plenty of people say, most loudly, Gene Simmons saying that I don't see the point in recording new music at this point. And the reason why, and, and understand the reason why Gene's saying that is because monetarily, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense to make a record as far as a money grab situation. It's not important. But as an artist, if you're starting out, which is how I look at it, if you're starting out as an artist or if, even if you've been there a lifetime like Tony Bennett, you literally still make art. And there's no point where you should stop making art just because you're not going to make money at it. I think that you have to maintain that this is what I do. You know, when Kat Von D's not doing tattoos, she's drawing, drawing outside the tattoo shop because she's an artist. And that's really what where I'm at with all this is just continuously making art. And that's really where my mindset is on all this. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. And I think the fact that, you know, once you put it out there, you don't really have any control as to, you know, I mean, obviously you can do things like this and promote it and make sure people are aware of it. But if people buy it, they don't buy it. You still got the chance to express yourself. And because I, I know we got started late and I know you only have a few minutes, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the tracks. When we started, we heard a little bit of Hey You, which I think is great right. because it just literally grabs you while you're listening to it. And I was, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds in. I'm like, all right, this is kind of how I felt putting on that Slaughter cassette that I mentioned that I wore out. And, you know, I, I had it on in the car and I'm like, this is exactly what I want. So I was very excited that that's kind of, you know, that's a great song to put out there because it's, it's like a, I was going to say it's a punch in the face, which sounds bad, but it's like a good punch in the face, you know? I think it's a punch in the face of like, do you remember this? You yes. know, it, it's again, it's, it's not too far away from where I came from. It's just got a little bit more teeth to it. You know, at the end of the day, again, at the end of the day with the whole record, there's some really heavy stuff on it, but it's songs. And it's songs that relate to, you know, not only the experiences that I've gone through in my life thus far, but a, a lot of people have talked to me about their stories and what they've been through. And, you know, again, I'm a storyteller. So there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of heart. And there's a lot of there's a lot of joy and there's a lot of pain that we all go through and that's what life is about and that's what music is about yeah you know and you referenced that there's some really heavy songs on the record and uh the song devoted i was just really impressed i'm like oh, okay that's where we are we're gonna just not slow it down the next song it actually just amped it up even more and i was like wow this is a really right. heavy song and i don't mean this as an, an insult it's heavier than i expected i was going to get from this record and in right. a completely good way i was surprised well good well i mean that's kind of what I wanted, but it, it wasn't something I said, okay, now I'm going to write this. It's just, these are, this is the mood of where I came from on this record. And again, it was written for vinyl. This record was made for vinyl. I, you know, I really wanted to take not only the listener, but in my own head, if I was listening to, you know, a Black Sabbath record or Hard or, you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever it is, when you put the headphones on, you get lost in that music as you're falling asleep, you know, and that's really what I tried to do is make it to where there's just this journey that the music takes you on. And that's ultimately what I think is, is achieved on this record. But at the same time, it's it's not running away from where I came from. 
And I would say that the title track, Halfway There, I mean, just listening to it, it, it seems like it's a very personal song. And I think that's exactly what you were talking about in terms of just expressing yourself and, you know, making art and hoping that people connect with it. And, you know, you're singing about, it, it seems like you're talking about, if I remember correctly, and I'm going to admit I only heard it once this afternoon because I didn't get it until today. But, you know, you were talking about your mom in it. And it was funny because I identified with that because I talked about that Alice Cooper concert I went to. The person who took me to that was my mom who made a fake ID yeah. that said I was 16 when I was only 14. So I was just, right. you know, it definitely resounded with me in that way. Well, I think that, you know, again, your family is your environment and, and where you came from. And, you know, this whole song of Halfway There is really about your relationship with your family. And as you grow older and when you have kids and when basically when you're dead and gone and this whole song is not necessarily cats in the cradle. Uh, now, do you have any plans to do any solo performances, whether it's not a tour or anything, but do you plan to do this material live or is it really just about doing the Slaughter tour? Is that the only thing that's um, you know, coming it, up? You know, I'm going to continue doing Slaughter shows. Obviously, it's what I, you know, that's what I have known and love. And I'm going to continue to do that. But I'm also going to take this music forward and take it out there. I've got a great cast of characters that I'm going to be, you know, doing this with. Um, uh, Mike Himmel on guitar and there's uh, Jamie Millard also known as the Pink Bassman and also Bobby Rock is on one show and Ken Mary is going to be playing drums on another show so it's kind of like this cast of characters of people that I know and ultimately are friends of mine that are really really great players and I think that we'll be able to bring something forward that, that uh, people are kind of looking for Well I think it's great that you know, the, you'll be able to actually share the music with people and obviously markslaughter.com. People can find it about the album and any dates. You know, again, we got started late, so I, I know we need to let you go. Uh, in our last minute or so, it's a story I know you've told before, but I just really wanted to share with the audience. When you first started on the tour with Kiss, uh, I know that Gene Simmons approached you right away about Vinnie Vincent and just the way I've heard you tell it before, I just think it would kind of be a fun way to kind of go out on this conversation. Oh, you mean like, uh, we're not going to listen. We're not going to talk about Vinnie Vincent. We're not going to ever discuss him out here at all. <laughs> we're not going to reference him in any way. And we're just going to let that go. It's a part of our life that's done. And I said, great, Gene. Okay. And then a little later, so when you worked with Vinnie Vincent, <laughs> let me ask you something. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. I just I I am a huge fan of Gene Simmons' impressions, and it seems like people who get the chance to be around him, you can't help but take it on because I would say, in terms of everybody in rock and roll, he's one of the most larger than life characters. You know, him and Ted Nugent, of course, come to mind as just sort of the most unique sure. people out there. All of whom I've actually you know had the the joy of touring with, even Uncle Ted. We've uh, I've had some. <laughs> good times at one time when you know we'll we'll end it with this we were we were ending a tour actually in las vegas and uh i i called a buddy of mine and i rented a panda suit and uh, <laughs> and i put this panda suit on and you know i'm kind of a, a jokester comedian so to speak put my pass on over the panda suit walked backstage knocked on ted nugent's door and ted you know he opens the door and he looks at me like oh man and 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 I said, "Hello, Ted. Give me a hug." <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I took the head of the panda off and he goes, he goes, Mark Slaughter, you crazy son of a bitch. I thought you're one of those PETA fuckers and I was going to have to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You're lucky he didn't reach for his bow and arrow when he, as soon as he saw oh, he, let, let, let me tell you something. That guy's a marshal and he does carry, but... You know, look, that's that's the joy of it all. You know, you get to know people's, you know, personalities and stuff. And he got a kick out of it. And so did I. And, you know, we're all lucky to laugh through life and, you know, get a chance to experience all this stuff. So it's good times. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Well, the album Halfway There, also a great time to listen to. I hope people go out and get it. And however you consume music these days, MarkSlaughter.com. And as I mentioned, at MarkSlaughter33 on Twitter and at MarkSlaughterOfficial on Instagram. Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was a great treat to get a chance to talk to you, even if it was just for a little bit about well, the new thank record. Thank you. And, and glad that uh, you caught me in the early years. And uh, come on out. We're still doing it. We're still rocking it. And we're uh, still uh, shaving the heads of all of those in the front <laughs> with uh, some loud music. I mean, it's... It, if it's loud, too loud, you're too old. So come on out and get you some. Yeah, I've got too many. <laughs> I've got too many gray hairs. So you know what? Yeah, let's have you shave it a little bit. I appreciate that. <laughs> thanks so much, Mark, and uh, thanks Thank so much you. to uh, everybody who joined us. More information: MarkSlaughter.com. As uh, we go out, uh, Steve in the booth. If you just play a little bit more, hey you, so that people can hear a bit of it. That was really fun, getting to talk to Mark Slaughter, who, as I discussed, performed in the second-ever concert I attended. Now, you'll hear a chat I had on May 19th with Terry Elouse about being the frontman of Great White and his new album, Gypsy Kings, and he was able to join me in studio, and we had a really fun chat. So let's take a listen. Joined, as I said in the intro, by Terry Elouse. Now, I'm getting it right. It's E. Yes. Loose. Yes. All right. No, it's not Jerry Lewis. No, because okay. that would be a very different... We'd be doing this for 30 hours and trying to raise and money we, for And kids. we'd be laughing a lot. <laughs> hey! Yeah, hey but... Yo. Lady! But, uh, great. Thanks so much for joining us here in the studio. I always appreciate it when somebody takes the trip to a beautiful, scenic downtown North Hollywood. So we're going to talk to you about the new album, which we're listening to whole lot of love let's let's shut up for a moment and just enjoy it make sure people hear whole lot of love And so the album, Gypsy Dreams, is a, a collection of nine covers of uh, music that is rearranged in this style. It's funny because to me it's interesting that it's called Gypsy Dreams because what it reminded me of, basically a few seconds into Whole I Love, it reminded me of the Gypsy Kings did this version of Hotel California for this collection. for a good one too. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I like that version of Hotel California better than the Eagles Ooh. version. So it's a very <laughs> controversial standpoint. You don't have to stand by me on that. And I just, I was just like, oh yeah. And I always liked that idea of just rearranging it like this. And so you have some great songs on here. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of them, they kind of make sense. The collection, you know, you're going to have Led Zeppelin. Sure. You'd have Rainbow and Def Leppard and Black Sabbath and, 
Christopher Cross, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is an interesting uh, choice, and the Doobie Brothers. So talk a little bit about the collection of songs and where they came from, you know, sort of why you chose these nine specific songs. Well, you know, uh, a song brings you back to a certain moment in time. You know, if you think about it, you know, you a moment where you're happy or sad or whatever. And um, when, I, when I made the selection of, of, of songs, I... Uh, I remember certain sp- specific songs, like for example, the Don Henley song, I "Boys rem- of Summer." Yes. Yeah, "Boys of Summer." I remember um, being in Spain when I was a kid, and because, um, as you can tell, I'm not from here, right? Right. I <laughs> you sound to me like you're probably from up north, northern California. Yeah. Yeah, boy, I'm actually from the south, boy. <laughs> yes, you grew up in France. As, uh... I grew up in France and Spain. And Spain. Yeah, my parents, my my dad was a Spaniard. Okay. And my mom is French. She's actually from Africa. So anyway, I grew up with a, that type of culture. And um, I remember being in, on vacation with my parents, and, and I fell in love with this beautiful um, Swedish girl. Um, and for the entire summer, I tried to, uh, to convince her to do uh, things, <laughs> good things, by the way, and nothing happened. <laughs> she, just, you know, she was too tall. I'm, I'm kind of short. I, I can definitely yeah, yeah, relate we, to you that. Relate yeah, to that. We have right, that right. in common. Yeah. 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 So um, she was gorgeous. And, and I remember watching that uh, in 85, 86, I watched the uh, Don Henley video. And immediately I thought it, it brought me back to that time when I was a young kid and trying to chase that love and that didn't happen. And the lyrics, of course, were very similar to that. So I, um, when I made the, the choice, uh, the, the, the selection for songs, I immediately thought of uh, Don Henley, uh, Boys of Summer. It's, it's a great song. And, you know, there's a, I, I didn't do smart research. So there's a, a popular version of that that's been covered in the last few years that you'll hear a lot. And, you know, it's, it's such a great song. And it's funny because you can present those emotions in different ways. You know, there's obviously the original Don Henley version. And we're hearing a little of it uh, for our listeners and viewers right now. A little bit of Boys of Summer. And, you know, it's just there's so much emotion to it, though, is the point. And you sort of present it in a, a very different well, way. Well, music is about emotion. Yeah. I mean, it's about feeling something and, and making sure the, uh, the, you can share that with your audience. That's what it's all about. You know, uh, we, we have to be in touch with the audience. So um, music is all about emotion. Whatever type of emotions we're talking about could be anger or could be love, could be whatever. It's, you have to be in touch with the audience and in touch with your emotions. Yeah, and it, it always has this sort of somber sound to it, you know, Boys of Summer. It's, it's always sort of looking back wistfully. Maybe it's because of, you know, a young lady. The lyrics, who, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's a young lady that uh, you remember not being willing to do things with you or, you know, just, just summer. You know, I think, like, if you hear this song in the winter, it could just make you sad if you live in a part of the country or part of the world. You know, if you live in Russia and you hear this song in the winter, you're like, oh, man, summer sure was good. But, uh, yes. you know. If you live in Minnesota. Yeah, right. <laughs> In Minnesota, you just like you turn the song off. You're like, no, 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 it's, it's too far away. I can't even think of it. Though I like Minnesota, actually. Yeah, I have, I have some great friends that live in Minnesota. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great rock and roll town. Uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis is great. Yeah. yeah, it's just cold. So I guess you know, it's you bloody go cold over there. I mean, you go, it's like, you go oh inside God. and you you learn how to how to play some music because what else are you going to do there? Uh, so yeah, I mean that's a great song, and obviously uh, Peter Gabriel in your eyes is is already just such a well known emotional song. I mean, it gets used in. in movies all the time but uh you also rearranged that uh for the album which we're talking I about. give it more I gave it Gypsy more of Dreams. a flamenco vibe yeah. you know I you know Christian I grew up listening to um all kinds of music uh, it was very diverse my dad used to you 
tell me, you need to listen to this, you need to listen to that. My dad was a guitar player, a jazz guitar player. So um, he imbued me with the love of music. He, he, he showed me diversity. And, and uh, I grew up listening to flamenco, of course, in Spain, you know, flamenco, yeah, uh, then rock, then, then anything, you know. And, and I realized you have to mix things up, you know, and, and that's what this album is all about. Yeah, no, and it's great. I mean, and uh, I just, you know, we'll, a little bit later, we're going to listen to the uh, tribute to Chris Isaac, Wicked Game, which is a great song. And I mean, he's a fantastic musician, but that's probably the song he's best known for. And that was like 1990, I, I want to guess. 1990, when I was, yeah. fi- I was 15 years old. Oh, okay, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I, I think you, I actually, you were 14? I was, four, I was actually 14 in oh. 1990. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know, I remember. And I think the first time I heard it, he was performing on Saturday Night Live, and I had never heard a recorded version of it. And I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, he's great. amazing, yeah. And, you know, it, does, it never hurts in those days when you have a music video where you're rolling around on the beach with a pretty girl, you know? She was gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope she still is. I, I'm sure she yeah, still, she still is. Yeah, she's still, she's a beauty. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about some of those songs, and we'll give a little bit of a listen to it. But I want to talk to you about some of the people who you collaborated with, uh, because, you know, your, your day job, your other job, you're the singer for Great White. So... As you're putting this album together, who are some of the people you worked with? I was very fortunate to, to work with some uh, great Spanish and, and, and flamenco musicians that are very well known in, uh, in, the, in the, uh, the Latin uh, community. You know, uh, on guitar, we have uh, Luis Viegas. Um, he's a Grammy-nominated guitar player. Um, ben Woods on guitar also. Jose Garcia is a guitar player from Tecate, Mexico. Great singer also. Um, Miguel Paganini on bass, uh, Mike Bennett on cajon, Al Velasquez also on cajon, and uh, now I could Jesse pretend Stern. I could pretend that I know what cajon is. And just a cajon on, is a but... little box. Okay, for, for you guys out there, a cajon is a little box, you see, like a little box this this size. You know, you can sit on it. Actually, you're supposed to sit on it, and you you tap. Oh, okay. And you tap, and you have depending on where you play. When you tap, you can have like a snare or a bass drum, or almost like a yeah, based on a snare, so... Okay. You know, if you think the, the kids in, in, in Africa, in, in, in Spain, they used to sit in a little box and play like that. Well, that's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah like growing up, you know, in New York, I would see, you know, you'd see yeah, kids you playing, a, playing a white bucket, basically. Yeah. And it's well, a it's, a, it's a modern uh, yeah. white bucket. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah I've, I've certainly seen that now that you describe what it is. I did not know that that's cajon, what it's called, yeah. the cajon. But that's obviously a very important part to this kind of not sound. To co- yeah, yes. The cajon is an important part to the sound for yes, this it's sound, what, kind of um, A flamenco player use all the time in Spain. They, they, they use a cajon. They use other things as well, different percussions. But the cajon is a main instrument. Now, uh, you've said about this album that it's, it's the uh-huh. start in a series of different projects you have in mind for the future. Can you say anything about some of the other ones or that you're just getting started with this one? I'm just one getting started. Right. Uh, uh, now, do you tour for an album like this or just do a few shows here and there? Uh, I know that uh, you know, Great White, of course, still tours very vigorously, which is great that they're still able to go out there. But are you doing a lot of shows to promote w- this? When the schedule with Great White allows it, yes, yeah. I will be doing, uh, doing uh, uh, shows uh, with the guy. Guys, the flamenco guys. Um, my main priority, of course, is Great White. Yeah, uh, we do a lot of shows. We have a new album coming out uh, June second. Uh, June second, yeah, I saw that. Um, and uh, we're very fortunate to be uh, still selling out. It's just pretty amazing. Uh, the band has been around for thirty-four years now, and um, we still sell out. I mean, we did a show last week. Um, 
uh, we did a show the week before. We had like 4,000 people and there were 3,000 people. I think it's amazing, you know, because you know, in two days music has changed so much that... Yeah, you know, that there's there's still obviously people still have an appreciation for you know look it'd be a lot of people that are my age that liked all this music when they were younger when they when they were fourteen and nineteen when you were fourteen and fifteen right <laughs> yeah there. right exactly when we were basically the same age and you know but I, I think that you know kids today still find music like this and they're like oh no I I do like music that you know it's not all you know look my daughter not, likes not, it yeah not to disparage you know pop musicians that's great that they do it you know, it's great that justin timberlake does what he does but not everybody likes that not everybody wants to hear that all the time you know so the idea that these bands are still out there is very encouraging because we do a lot of, we do a lot of shows with all together with other bands like slaughter or sure or vince neil motley crew we do all our shows together and um we packed the venues i mean it's packed you know rat we just did a show with rat that's that the show was sold out within you know, 45 minutes or something. It was ridiculous. I'm like, wow, you know, so we do pretty well. You know, classic rock is still around, you know. I mean, I know people think, oh, those guys are older, you know. But we're doing all right. There's an audience for that. And the funny thing about it is parents bring their kids. I see yeah. a lot of kids up front. My daughter watches Glee. Remember the TV show Glee? Yeah, sure. The I love the, the yeah. sh- I used to watch the sh- that show. I love Glee. And, uh, she she sings Journey and all those songs. Oh, I'm like, yeah. really? You like that? She's like, yeah, Dad, don't stop <laughs> believing. I'm like, oh, wow, you know? And yeah, no, I mean, a couple of my favorite performers are uh, Alice Cooper and Kiss. And whenever I've seen them, there's always so many kids. And I'm just like, that's great, though. 15,000 people. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just like, you know, my son's only two, so I haven't brought him to no, a rock show just yet. But, you know, five probably, you know, just waiting for the right show. So, uh, but anyway, I, I did want to mention. Slayer would be a good start. Oh, Slayer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. You know, especially if they're going to do, you know, all of seasons from the yes, abyss or that, something. That's a good start. Yeah, I think that would be good. I brought him to one baseball game and I put, I, we had these headphones on yeah, the whole time. Loud, but he yeah. hated them so much. We're like, all right. Yeah. And then he fell asleep. I don't know how you can fall asleep, but, uh, you know, that's probably what would happen. But anyway, I did want to mention, so your, uh, all your social media. So. And it's Terry I L O U S because right. people are listening on iTunes, so they don't necessarily yeah, see the little Terry, flashes. Jerry Lewis or Terry yeah, who, yeah. Terry, Terry Lewis, uh, Terry Elu, or is it an Elus? S? Elus, yeah, see, yeah. I had it right the first time, and now now I've I've panicked. It's a Spanish word, you know that. It's a Spanish name. Yes, uh, Elus, and yes, that's yes. Twitter. It's at Terry Elus. Instagram is the same. YouTube. Terry Loose TV and Facebook, you can just find Terry yeah, Loose yeah, and yeah. TerryLoose.com. So right. once you get the name down and how to spell it, yes. as long as you you know, as long as you spell it right, you can actually say it well, wrong. Arnold but... Arnold used to say the same thing because people say, How do you pronounce your name, Sir Arnold? People say, Once you pronounce my name once, you will never forget it. <laughs> that's Otherwise our, that's... I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, that's our former governor you're talking about there. He's a smart guy, actually, you know? Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I've I've known people who've I've uh, met him before. Him. He had a huge head he does have a huge oh my head. god i looked at him was like holy god his now, head was huge did you meet him when he was being terminator arnold or did you meet him when he was governor arnold oh, he was the governor go- oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, for a radio show i used to work for i called to like book him on the show and you could hear him in the background like carrying on like you know just like joking around with people and i'm just he's like, actually a funny guy yeah no yeah. that's uh, yeah my, it's uh he's smart He's been very. He has a good sense of humor about himself too, which I think. Well, is, you have is, to. I mean, you know, if you important. have to laugh about yourself, you yeah. know. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, so you'll do some shows, and people can go to yeah. all those things that we we. We do off. have a, a show we're playing at the end of the month. In fact, uh, there's a venue in Los Angeles called Lucky Strike. 
Oh, it's the bowling alley, right? Yeah, we're yeah, bowling it's alley. Hollywood we're, and Highlands. Ho- yeah. yeah, we're playing. Uh, we're gonna d- be doing a twenty-minute set, and uh, I'm very excited about that. We're gonna bring uh, the two percussionists, Chris Torrio, of course. I forgot to mention his name earlier, but Chris is gonna be there, and Al, and um, six guys on stage. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, I've, I, I think Natalie maybe is gonna do backup vocals. I'm not they, sure, but we'll they've see. had a, a lot of people play at that venue. You know, you sort of hear about shows that you know get. Uh, I, I remember hearing about a show that. Uh, David Lee Roth was going to do... Was, Pink with, just played there. Oh, Pink just played there. Well, yeah. David Lee Roth was going to do with Steve Vai and his Edom and Smile band. We're going to like do a show. And it got so crowded, they actually never got to take the stage because the fire marshal shut it down. Yeah. So it's a small venue. It's so a, that's going to be great, It's a small venue, but it's a great venue. Um, the sound system is amazing. Steve, who, who handles everything, is doing an amazing job. And um, it's just it's a really nice place. The sound system, I mean... The, the, Amazing. I mean, I've I've only ever been there to go bowling, but uh, I love. Oh the idea yeah, that you like to bowl? Uh, I'm terrible at it, but it's fun. You yeah, know? it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just don't like to wear those shoes. Somebody has those shoes, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh yeah, I know. It's I, I understand. I don't understand the people who own their own bowling ball, but when you own your own shoes, that makes sense. You know, yeah, because... I went there once. I was wearing cowboy boots, but uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to work out. Uh, well, we alluded to uh, how you are uh, also going to go out on tour with Great White, right. and you uh, have the new album coming out. What can you tell us about the new album? I'm very, very, very proud of it. It's a great album. Uh, I'm not saying this because I, 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 I sang and co-wrote the songs, but it's really a, it's a very bluesy album. Um, bluesy, um, back to the roots, I would say. You know, bluesy and and and. Uh, heavy as well, but not heavy metal, just heavy, dirty, naughty, bluesy thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I love that, you know? Um, that's what Great White is all about. We're not a pop band. We're not a uh, heavy metal band, hair band whatsoever. Spandex, not at all. <laughs> I, I never, I've never worn spandex in my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, I, you know, see, that's the thing, though, because your, your, your first band, XYZ, was in that time period where but you could have never, never gotten roped into it, so good for you that you didn't. No, no, yeah. we, 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 we... And we, obviously, like, I just referred to the godfather of spandex, David Lee Roth, you know, who... Yeah, yeah, I, don't know. I don't think he wears much anymore, you know? I, I, saw, I saw Van Halen last year. I don't, I don't like think to they're... wear spandex because it shows your thing too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, maybe that's why Dave liked to wear it back then. Yeah. Know? Yeah, but, yeah. Was but, he wearing a sock or something? <laughs> from, oh, it's like Spinal Tap where you yeah, have yeah, the, remember uh, the that cucumber scene? with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the aluminum foil. No. Uh, so you've actually been with uh, Great White for a while, but I sort of wanted to talk a little bit about how, I guess in 2009, you kind of get a call that they wanted to have right. you just do some shows. You weren't actually in the band at that point. Uh, talk a little bit about getting a call like that. And, you know, obviously a well-established band. I'm going to assume you knew the guys already and that's why they called you. But are you at all apprehensive of like, oh, I'm going to step in and take over this band? So- I was freaking out. I, I was doing, um, I was actually um, in, um, what was I? I was actually on vacation with my family and I got a phone call. And my phone rang and I'm looking at the phone. It says, Great White Mark Campbell. And I'm like, oh. Wow, interesting. So I answered the phone. I says, hey, Mark, how you doing? Mark is, Mark is really shy, but great sense of humor. Hey, buddy. And I'm, hey, Mark, you know. Um, what are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm enjoying my vacations with my family. He said, great. Uh, Jack is sick, unfortunately, and uh, I want to find out if you'd like to do some shows with us. That's basically the conversation, the phone conversation. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd be delighted. Thank you for, for, for the honor. He said, all right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> see you tomorrow. And I'm like, what? Like, where? Well, tomorrow we have three shows in a row. I'm like, holy cow. So wow. um, I actually uh, hop on a plane and, and learned the songs on the spot. And uh, I got on stage. I explained to the crowd. And they said, who are you? And, and yeah. people said, in fact, I got a funny story. Because 
I usually wear glasses because I'm, I don't know, on stage I like to wear glasses all the time, you know, like these ones, you know. And the very first time I got on stage and um, people didn't expect me, they were expecting the previous singer, sure. you know. Um, unfortunately, it was ill and, um, and I'm glad he's well now. Um, and uh, I did the first song, Doesn't Mood, and there was complete silence. And at the end, people said, somebody said, Oh my God, that's Al Pacino on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so that was downhill from there. I was like, oh God, oh, oh my no. God. And then uh, after the second song, I heard, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. But, but the crowd reacted well. I explained to the crowd you know, why I was sure. there. And uh, people said, oh, that's cool. You're, you're with XYZ. Okay, cool, blah, blah, blah. And then... Um, and then went on and then stepped in and stayed with the band, you know? Yeah, so and you actually became a, a full-fledged member in 2010. 2011, yeah. 2010. Yeah. And uh, is this only the second album you've done with them? or uh... We did a live album. Okay. I'm not sure you can find it anywhere, but there's a second album, a studio album. The first one was called Elation. This new one is called Full Circle, and it's, it was produced by um, uh, Michael Wagner. Uh, Michael Wagner has been around for a long time. He's produced Metallica, Metallica. Um, my God, uh, Motley Crue, uh, Extreme, all the bands, Ozzy, you know. Right, so. sure. Uh, so, so it's called Full Circle, and uh, the, there's the the tour that, of course, ensues, which is great. You know, you talked about uh, all of the all the bands that you go out right, with. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually I talked to Mark Slaughter again. I know. I love uh, Mark. They, yeah, he's oh, he's fantastic, and probably my favorite Gene Simmons impression is Mark Slaughter. Oh, you should because ask him. He has so yeah, many stories. He's so funny. He's, he's so funny. I mean, Mark and I, we, we we like each other very much. We we do a lot of shows together. I'd I'd say about twenty five to thirty shows a year together. So uh, we get, you know, talk. We're good friends, you know. Yeah, and like so many guys, he lives in Nashville now. You know, there's like this huge, like, hard rock scene there that just, well, for whatever reason. Nashville is what L.A. used to be in a way that, um, you know, if you, if you, I don't know if you were here 20 years ago. What, no, I lived in New York. I've New been York. here about 13 years. Okay. Yeah. Well, 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, Los Angeles was the mecca of rock and roll, of, of any kind of music, basically. Sure. Uh, the, the Roxy, the Whiskey, all the clubs, uh, Orange County, we used to call it the Orange Curtain, you know, all that stuff, you know, because going there and playing there was like forbidden, you know. But oh, actually, uh, the clubs were with the Marquee, remember the Marquee, Jezebels, all those clubs were uh, fantastic. And anyway, um, <clears throat> we used to play those clubs because there were so many, the, the, so many fans and things. And then things started to change, you know, uh, the, the clubs died and everything, and now it's all gone. There's nothing left in Los Angeles. If you want to play, Nobody's going to come and see you because it's expensive and things. So f- musicians moved to Nashville. We just I was in Nashville for two months recording a new album, and I had a blast. I have to tell you that Nashville is an amazing city, and people from Nashville or people that live in Nashville are amazing. I mean, really, the vibe, it's really cosmopolitan. It's not what I was expecting at all. Yeah, I went there about 10 years ago, and I was really impressed. Well, was just, first be, of all, it was just a fun town. Christian, you'd be surprised now. I mean, it's, it's a fun town, but now it's even more cosmopolitan. You, they even have uh, 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 bagels, like New York bagels. Which is the sort of thing that, you know, when you come from New York, you, 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 quit, you for, can't find anywhere. You can't yeah. find that anywhere, you know? Yeah, well, that's when you know that a place has made it when they have good <laughs> So bagels. for you... Yeah. Now, uh, let's sort of go back, way back to earlier in your career, because you talked about how people would come out to Los Angeles. So you put the band together in France, I guess, in the mid-80s, and you came out to 86. Hollywood. Yeah, so uh, talk about that decision. I guess it was just, you had to, because that's where it was all happening. I mean... Well, what happened is, I did a, an album for RCA, I don't know if you remember the 
record company called RCA Records, and I was just about to was just about to come out. And a week prior to that, the A and R called my management and said, "We don't know what to do with Terry. You know, he's he's, he's a rocker, and 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 the market is in France is not rock and roll. So I don't think it's gonna we're gonna release the album." And I was really devastated. I really, oh, wow. I was I was I was I was a young kid. I was seventeen. I was eighteen. I was like, "Oh my god." My dream, it's over, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't know. And I bought a plane ticket. My, my friend, Pat Fontaine, my partner, was already in Los, in Los Angeles. And he called me and he said, hey, you want to come to Los Angeles? We're going to be rock stars here. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I have tons of women waiting for you. <laughs> I have a limo. I have a management company. I have everything. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So it's final tap moment. I arrive at the airport and he's picking me up in a... 1970, whatever, Chevy Nova, all beat up and <laughs> everything. Course. No, the windows didn't go up, no AC. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, oh, we're going to Long Beach in a motel. We're all going <laughs> to share the same room. I'm like, what? What happened to the record yeah, deal? Well, where are the women? He's yeah, like, there's no women, there's no record deal, but you're here, right? <laughs> what are you going to do? Go back? And I'm like, uh. I had $500 in my pocket. I barely spoke English, few words. And I said to myself, you know what? I cannot go back because I told my friends, see ya. Yeah. I'm leaving. You know, like, yeah, right. So Yeah, I mean, as soon as he said there would be women, you probably hung up the phone and headed for the airport. Yeah, you didn't even hear the other stuff. Yeah. So, but obviously you get some degree of success with XYZ. Yeah, and very well. What I read in the notes was that I guess they were the unofficial house band at the Whiskey. We so, were the last So how band. does that, yeah, how does that come about? I mean, because obviously the best known house band at the Whiskey was The Doors, you know, a good there was 20 only, years uh, earlier. There was three bands. Three, there was The Doors, yeah. Motley Crue, and XYZ. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, that's why they did their There last, was only three bands. They, Motley Crue had their last show, alleged last show yeah. at the Whiskey. Sure. Three bands yeah. were the house band at the Whiskey. Wow. Only three bands. And uh, we used to have to play the whiskey once or twice a month actually for Mario who just unfortunately passed away yeah I'd heard about that yeah, yeah. we used to, to to have to play someone would come in and a big name would come we would have to open for them and um, that was the deal so we, we had a big draw back then I think I believe we have the record um 637 people or something. Wow. A friend of mine hosts a a TV show that films at the Whiskey. It's called World's Greatest Tribute Band. So it's a showcase for tribute bands. So I go there very often and I'm just amazed at how many people they cram into there. It's still such a great venue. I've seen some great shows there. Great sound system, great venue. And, uh, but back in the days, you could pack the place. I think we were close, basically 700 people. The fire marshal came and canceled the show and blah, blah, blah. But we were happy about it because the press was talking about it. X, Y, Z just got, you know, so we're like, yeah, we're in the news, you know. So. Well, contrast and compare doing a show like that, you know, at the Whiskey, then you went out on tour with Foreigner and Alice Cooper, not Alice together, Cooper, separately. Ozzy, Foreigner, yeah, now, deal, yeah. uh, Alice Cooper was the first concert I ever went to in 1990. Right. You guys did not open uh, on no. that show, but uh, it's, it's sort of one of those things that it just makes such an impression when you see, you know, again, I was 14, you see Alice Cooper on stage, he's you know, cutting heads off of babies. He's getting decapitated. He's yeah, theatrical. And, and he still does it. He's still so great. And, and, you know, that just stuck with me. You know, and then the next band I saw was Kiss. So it's like, it's a little bit of a letdown when you start to see bands that don't put on shows. But what they all have in common is just sort of this great sound. And I kind of wondered, who were some of the bands that you saw either when you were younger, more impressionable, or even once your career started? Were there people that you saw perform you, that really influenced the way that you You, you want to know? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It has nothing to do with rock and roll. Believe great. it or not, I saw James Brown. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've only ever seen videos. I, I saw James Brown. Brown. Uh, it yeah. was a, a, a learning experience. I, I felt so small. I was like, oh my God, that guy's amazing. Uh, 
great performer, great, great singer. Uh, and for me, the godfather of soul, of course. And um, I grew up listening to, besides flamenco, I grew up listening to uh, R&B, old R&B, like, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Pendergrass, uh, The Temptations, uh, The Marvelettes, all those bands, you know, uh, Sam Cooke, all sure. those great singers, you know, James Brown, Ray Charles. So um, for me, that's really what I loved, I wanted to do, and, and I ended up being a rock and roll singer, you know. But uh, I saw James Brown, and, and yeah, it was probably the best concert I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and no, I can imagine just the way that, you know, you just see him on video, and you just see it. And I always love the thing at the end, you know, where they have to put the blanket over him. because the, you know, Oh, my God, I did it down. once. You know what's funny? Because we were doing a show in Switzerland uh, with Great White, and I thought it was so funny to, what he used to do. with. So the cape was actually a, a, a flag or whatever he had, a cape. So we did it, and I kneed down, and, and my bass player, uh, Scotty, got on, put on over me the... Uh, the Swiss flag, you know, and, and it was like, like pretending to be like James Brown, you know, I was like <laughs> having such a good time, but nobody got it, get the joke, like, what the heck is he doing, <laughs> you know, but I, we, I laughed so yeah, Sometimes you have to do it for yourself. I did it know? for myself, I still have a picture, I'm like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe I did that. Uh, so, you know, obviously XYZ has a, a, a great level of success, uh-huh. you know, and, you know, so XYZ had an album called Hungry that came out in 1991, and as most people know, things changed so much that year. Sure, you had Guns N' Roses. You had Skid Row put out an album that went to the top of the Billboard charts. But you also had Nirvana, Nirvana Pearl yeah. Jam. And, yeah, uh, Soundgarden. Do you feel like an album like yours got lost in that shuffle? Would it have done better if it had come out just a year earlier when people were much more focused on hard rock? I don't know. How do you feel when you think about that time, that just it changed so quickly? I think, uh, yes, we were late. There's no doubt about it. The album came out in 1991. Was Back then, rock and roll was dying. Guns N' Roses was... Even Guns N' Roses was having a hard time back then. You know? And by the way, when I saw Guns N' Roses in Madison Square Garden in 1991, who opened for them? Soundgarden. You know, you so that, so, yeah, that was the bill. Soundgarden and all those guys uh, uh, took over. And, and somehow, believe it or not, I know I'm going to probably piss off a lot of people, but it was a good thing. I think rock and roll was becoming to be cheesy, uh, and we were all talking about the same things, uh, spandex and women and strip joints and everything. And it's just A&R to control. A&R told us how to write a song, and A&R people are A&R people. They shouldn't tell you how to write songs. So we artists, you have artists, producers, and you have A&R people. When A&R people start to tell you, they go to the studio and they tell you, oh, you need a hook. That's not a hook. Let me help you write a hook. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So somehow the fact that Pearl Jam and Nirvana came along is a good thing because, I mean, let's face it, I like a, 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 a rougher age, more rock and roll. But you know what? They brought something else. They brought some good things as well, you know? I mean, they what they brought, and this is what I talked to Mark about, was they brought something different. It sounded different. And I think people were ready for something that was different because, like you said, when the A&R get involved, when the record company gets involved, and it's like, yeah, all right, well, now we want to find the next Motley Crue, the next Guns N' Roses, the next Poison. As soon as you start trying to be the next something, it's already a lost I think cause. It's, I think it's over. So you have to, yeah. So basically, when Nirvana came, came around for us, it was over. We get dropped within two years. Uh, we were on tour, actually, and uh, we, get a, we get a phone call, and the phone call said, uh, you're, you're dropped, that's over. I mean, of course, you're, you're crushed, you know, and then you think, what am I going to do? You know, I'm 28 years old, you know. You know, or 26, whatever. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah. You're freaking out. And the money goes fast. But uh, it's life. You have to reinvent yourself. As an artist, I think you have to reinvent yourself. You have to be able to dig in and, and, and say, all right, 
This is where I am today, and I have to do something different. You can't repeat the same things over and over again, and, and you are never going to grow. An artist has to grow, you know, just like a person. Just like you have to grow musically, spiritually, and you have to grow. So um, you have to find ways to, to do the things you love, but in, in, in different ways. You know what I mean? Right, and so it's what like sex. did you... Yeah, right, it's like, <laughs> you always look for the different ways. It's like in the different positions. <laughs> so what sort of different positions did you find yourself doing sort of, you know, in the few years after that, at that point, you know, before, you know, between that point and hanging out with the guys in Great White and ending up joining the band? Actually, I was broke. Right. I ha ha I'm not ashamed to admit it. I had a lot of money. Um, we, uh, Pat and I were smart. My bass player were very smart. We... Uh, we managed our money very well, and um, we had a lot of money. We signed a very big publishing deal, very, very big, uh, record deal, very big. Everything was, uh, we were very successful. We did very well for ourselves. And then, um, then it was over, and money went quick. You know, and money goes away, friends go away, girlfriends, whatever, <laughs> you know. I ended up being so broke that I was actually um, homeless for, for a while. Oh, I was wow. completely, literally homeless living in my car. And um, I remember one day I was eating a sandwich in a, in, that I just bought at Vaughn's for like $1.99. That's what I could afford. And I looked at my credit card statement, and it says minus $23. So I'm like, I am really screwed. Yeah. Uh, and I, really, I, was, um, I fell into depression for the longest time. For many, many years, I was depressed. I was suicidal for a long, long time. And um, I was on medication. And then I discovered... Um, I worked at a bar. I was a, I was a bartender. Um, I, I was a dishwasher. I did all kinds of jobs, you know, just trying to make a living, you know. Then I discovered Buddhism. And then, oh. uh, you know, Buddhism helped me, you know, reinvent myself. And slowly, uh, one night I met a friend of mine, um, Bruce Reiner, who worked at Capitol Records for the longest time. He was the vice president. And he said to me, what are you doing here? You're a bartender. What's wrong with you? I said, well, it's over for me. You know, it's, I'm done. He said, no, you have a voice. You have to do this. So uh, I, I said, yeah, maybe why not? So I, I give it some thought. And a few months later, it took me some, some time to, to gather my thoughts. A few months later, later I um, started doing voiceover. You know, um, I did the, the Rugrats, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, work for so Nickelodeon. character voices? Yeah, character okay. voices, singing, and, lots of singing animation, stuff like that. Sure. And that kind of helped me out a lot, first of all, financially. Yeah, and second of all, um, being surrounded by artists, being surrounded, there was a challenge, and all of a sudden I said, wow, wow, I'm back. It may be, I'm not a rock star, but it's, it's still in the music, I'm still in the music business, entertainment business. So I did that for a long time, you know. And, um, and eventually uh, I released an album out that did okay. I made actually good money releasing the album, and then Great White called me one day, you know. That was it. That's the story. Right. And then you also, of course, people at this point enjoy looking back. So then all of a sudden you get some calls like, hey, how about having XYZ play this festival or we that? Did. So yeah. you guys still do that every once in a while we did. too even. Yeah. We did. We can't, I can't anymore do that because I'm, I'm, I'm committed to Great White. Sure. So I can't do XYZ at the moment, unfortunately. But that was certainly fans, something know? that happened, you know, up until that point that the, you know, that's probably right around the time, you know, the mid 2000s, people started yeah. to think like... Hey, all that music from the 90s sure was it's fun. It's exactly yeah, what happened. Yeah. In the, in, you, you said it right, Christian. Around 2003, four, people started saying, Hey, man, I miss the rock, the good yeah. old days. You know, I miss the good old <laughs> days, boy. 
So uh, they, they, you know, there was a lot of festivals, you know, M3 and all that stuff. And we started, yeah, we did some shows and getting paid well. And I'm like, wow, there's maybe an afterlife. Um, but um, I continued doing voiceover basically yeah. as well. No, I can imagine. I mean, I, I've known people that have done that kind of work. And obviously it's... One, it's, it's a lot easier than going out on tour. You know, you're just in a in a studio much like this one yeah. for maybe an hour or two. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the paycheck is a lot better than well, being it's, here right it's now. Well, it's SAG. I mean, I'm SAG. So they, oh, give, right. you, yeah, they give you a, a script and you have to, to sing a, a part. Or, I did lots of jingles for uh, uh, Dr. Pepper, uh, Toyota. Uh, all the, I, did, I sang a lot of jingles. Uh, and uh, it's, you get paid so well. It's yeah, amazing. no, I mean, obviously, I mean, it just fairly well-known, completely different kind of music, but I know that that's what Barry Manilow did for the beginning of his career. Oh, him like, and a lot of other singers. Yeah, so I mean, many others, uh, yeah. John and Turner from Rainbow used to do that and make a fortune. Yeah. I mean, it's changed nowadays. Um, they, uh, they give you usually a buyout or they use the original tracks. Oh, okay. So they don't use, um, less and less they use singers. So, But again, you have to reinvent yourself. It's part of... Like for you, 10 years ago, you were doing something else. Now you're yeah. doing something. You're t- we talked about that. You have to continue. You have to push forward in life. If you don't push forward, if you stay static, you're basically going backward. That's the way I think of life. You have to move forward and, and think, what else can I do to reinvent myself? What else can I do to better myself? You know, that's basically it. If you don't, if you don't think this way, you're just going backward. Right, and it, it's nice to glance backward, like we sort of talked about. You know, you getting to do those festivals and things, but it's a much better trajectory for you that that's not what your job is. You know, no, to continue you, you playing songs to, from thirty. You have years to wear ago. different yeah. hats, and yeah. it's so much fun to do different things. You know, uh, for you, I'm sure it's fun to be here. It was fun to be somewhere else ten years ago, and things. It's fascinating. You have to reinvent yourself all the time. You have to push. You have to push the limits all the time. Push so you can grow. As a person, as an artist, as a as a father, as a as a human being, you have to push the limits. If you yeah. don't, it's too bad for you. Well, and what better way to talk about pushing forward and personal growth and to bring it right back around to the new right, album, right, 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 Gypsy right. Dreams, right, which right. is now available it's a good in, one. in the yeah. Well, you know that's 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 why I'm in this chair. But uh, that's basically you know that's how people can find out about the new album. You get it wherever you get music, which. As we were talking about beforehand, iTunes, the way you Amazon. get music now is, you know, you go on YouTube and you the look internet. for it. And sometimes you pay for it. I think a lot of people are willing to pay for it. But sometimes there it is, you know, and you don't have to pay for it. I, I think it's, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Because people don't realize that we are, as musicians, we create something, artists, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody's going to steal that and just put it all over the net. And then everybody's going to download it and... I think it's really sad for the artist, you know? Yeah, and as we were also talking beforehand, we, we referenced Gene Simmons earlier, he just doesn't see any reason to make new music, which, you know, maybe for his band it's not. So newer bands still feel like they, they, first of all, they want to, but second of all, they, they need to kind of, however they can do it, whether it's getting your song well, included in a TV show or a commercial. Yeah, exactly. You can do other things. You, yeah. you, you can still do music, and you can just have to realize that you have to place your song in in the music and this, although these days they take everything, they take the publishing, they yeah. take a writer's credit. I mean, it's just and like you're a, just hoping to get the exposure, and you're hoping you that do that's it with the ex- music yeah. is is not a dying business per se, but it's a different business than it was 20, 30 years ago. You you, you don't make the same amount of money, you know, like like you used to, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, but, we play songs in movies. We get paid fifty k just for placing the song. You know, one song, thirty seconds, fifty thousand dollars. Another one, a hundred hundred grand. It doesn't happen like that anymore. <laughs> no, I, I guess you're lucky so. if you get if you get three hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Really? It's yeah. I mean, I, I, depending on how famous you of are, of course. But, but you, you, 
sure, know, Eric we, Clapton probably gets fifty thousand. Yeah, I'm sure he gets but, still fifty. Yeah. But back in the days, he would get three hundred grand. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. But so, however people get their music, they should uh, look for Gypsy Dreams. I'm old fashioned. I still like to have CDs because I like to look at the you know the artwork. I like to see everything on the inside. Uh, I'm you, a dying. You, you, you're in luck. Look at this. I have one right here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, if I ever see Terry Loose, maybe I'll ask him to sign it for me if I ever meet yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, that's one interesting thing about the music business is that, that people are rediscovering vinyl. I am not a fan of that medium just because of how delicate it is. And but it sounds it's better. So, it's so big. I, 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 I like this. But, yeah, I, def- I have, believe me, I have a friend who has thousands of records who he would it does sound better. saying that. It definitely sounds yeah, better. Sorry, yeah. And it's great, though, because at least in some way people are still, you know, there's still an interest in physical music, which is great. But obviously, people can get this on iTunes. And Ooh. again, it's Gypsy Dreams. And I'll run through all the social media, Terry Elus, and it's Terry, I-L-O-U-S, dot com, slash Terry Elus on Facebook, at Terry Elus on Twitter and Instagram, and Terry Elus TV. Terry, thank you so much for thank sitting you. in here and uh, you, talking Christian. to me. It's been great uh, just chatting with you. You know, this this was this felt like one of those chats where there weren't all these cameras and microphones in front of us. You know, Wait, where we just cameras here. Yeah, there's other people. Oh my watching. god, how's my hair? Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so uh, on the way out, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to uh, one of the other tracks that we alluded to earlier. We're going to listen to some of Wicked Game, the Wicked uh, Chris Game. Isaac song. And earlier we heard Whole Out of Love, uh, Boys of Summer. Don Henley is another one. In your eyes, Peter Gabriel. Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers, Wicked Game, as we said, Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath, Ride Like the Wind, Christopher Cross, Love Bites, Def Leppard, Kill the King, Rainbow. So those are all the songs. Kill the King, Rainbow. That's, that's Kill the King, Rainbow. People will say, what the heck did you come? I say, no, that's actually a really good one. Yeah, well, the Doobie Brothers one, uh, talk very quickly, because I read a quote from you about uh, how you sort of... Warm up. Yeah, I used yeah, to, you I, used I to love warm that up song. your voice to I that song. I used to warm up that song. Yeah. It just, I love the vibe. I, I love those guys, you know, and, and, and they're, they're wonderful. Uh, musicians oh my god yeah so i used to sing that song all the time and said that would be a good one you know yeah no and it's great and like i said i I just i love the album because these are great songs but this is such a completely different interpretation of them so uh it's fun and uh thank you again terry Uh, i'm christian blatt at christian dmz and we're gonna listen to some wicked game on the way out thank you what a wicked thing to do let me dream of you Wicked thing to say You never felt this way What a wicked thing to do To make me dream of you Well, if you had half as much fun listening to these conversations with Mark Slaughter and Terry E. Luce as I did having them, then this was a wildly successful episode of The Blackcast. Make sure to keep in touch with me on Twitter, at ChristianDMZ. The Blackcast is on Twitter, at Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, The Blackcast on Facebook, and at Blackcast.com. That's all for this week, and we will see you next time on The Blackcast.